Hello, and welcome to The Elastic Brand. My guest this week is none other than John Hicks. He needs no introduction, being one of the UK's most talented and well-known designers. He's famous for his icon and logo design, and has worked on some of the most famous logos in the industry, including Firefox and MailChimp. I talked to John about his processes, visual identity design as a whole, responsive logo design, and our favourite comedies. I really hope you enjoy the show. Hi, John, and welcome to the Elastic Brand Podcast. It's great to have you here. Welcome. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. This is a second episode. I'm getting into my stride now, hopefully. Um, she says confidently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of I got into web design probably 12 years ago, and you were probably one of the first people that I ever kind of was told about or recommended to follow on Twitter and you're kind of the doyen of design, I like to oh, think of you. Is that a good like thing? That? Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, I think that is really good. You're like the master, basically. Oh, God. <laughs> no pressure. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> so I, but I wondered if you could kind of um, give us a little introduction to kind of who you are and what you do. Sure, yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to go as far back as like when I actually started design, because actually that's now quite quite a way ago, quite some time yes, ago. Yes, whatever you um, feel, whatever you Yeah, well, I mean, um, but basically uh, my original training was as a, a wildlife illustrator. So um, wow. that was what I wanted to do when I left college. I had this big plan of I'm going to be illustrating birds in books for the rest of my life. And um, oh, wow. when I when I left college, I actually found out that first of all, the market in the UK is quite small for that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, basically, they've got five illustrators and they don't need any more. <laughs> so it was <laughs> the market saturated. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, overcrowded. Oh, no. But that's you know that's as much as was needed really. So um, I had to do a sort of a quick switcheroo. So I did a um, as part of my illustration courses, I do design as well. Mm-hmm. they teach you that basically I think it's a really good idea to just in case you can't make it as an illustrator um yeah and there's also the the problem of illustration is quite poorly paid so yeah. um I did a illustration for an RSPB magazine which was this big um double page spread showing a, a badger set so you had a badger set at sunset mm-hmm. and all the kind of the set underneath the ground and it was it took me about a month of evenings to, mm-hmm. to do this yeah um and I got paid two hundred pounds for it, so it oh, was yeah. the hourly rate must have been appalling, you know. I really don't the, think that's changed either from the illustrators no. that I know. I still think people, you know, are not paid what they deserve for. Yes, for yeah, I've, I'm not quite sure the solution is for illustration, but so yeah, yeah I kind of felt yeah, let's let's try design as well. So I got a job as a junior designer, and then I've worked for various companies until I finally went freelance in two thousand and two. Yeah. Uh, so, and then since then, I've been doing um, a mixture of things. I've done a lot of um, UI design with Opera uh, for the Opera browser. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of icon work, which is kind of what I can, can become known for. Um, and especially in the last few years, um, the amount of logo branding work has actually sort of mm-hmm. increased a lot. Um, especially with people, you know, putting aside budgets for more more involved uh, identity guides and uh, yeah. much more you know it used to be very much that people had budget for a logo 
Yeah. Um, for example, I redid Mailchimp some years ago. Yes. Um, they 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 had done a very sort of simple one when they first started. Um, I was hired just to do the logo and logo type, and then obviously since then that's been revised and revised and, and simplified. Um, but very much at the time it was you know we just need a logo. So, yeah. So yeah. yeah. So it, it's uh, that that sort of landscapes have changed a little bit. But um, but yeah, basically, I'm, I've been freelance now since 2002, and um, the the majority of my work at the moment, I would say, is um, either logo branding design, icon design, or uh, illustration. Right. Okay. So, with regard to logo branding design, do you mean as in um, creating uh, kind of the logo, and then um, so sort of creating the visual identity, and then kind of giving them guidelines around that? to have that feed through to the rest of their branding so say they're like uh digital and offline stuff is that kind of what yeah. you mean with that yeah exactly i mean it depends really on the client's needs and budget um so often they will they will want a lot but they won't have the budget to do everything that they want to do yeah so yeah. you know we do work with them for various things so there's various levels of there's still the people who who can afford and just want a logo um, yes. And you can't do more than that, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But then there's ones that, you know, are more prepared. They've got more, more uh, budget available. And, you know, you're working on not just the logo and the identity, but you're thinking about brand voice as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which obviously involves other disciplines like copywriting. Um, but it's this thing about um, this leap from just doing identity. So you're looking mm. at the how the visuals um, of that company work to the brand and mm. and some clients don't always understand that the brand mm. is as much how they behave yeah. and what they do um, as opposed to something that actually can be shown within a logo. So a, a recent job I did, they um, had a long laundry list of brand attributes that they wanted the logo to represent. Mm. Um, and you had to come back to them and say, you do realise, you know, this isn't something that you can imbue in the logo sometimes there are things you can put in so things like making something look sort of cheap or premium mm. maybe you know um yeah. but there's lots of things that you know things like you know radical or um you know we've, we've got your back and these sort of things yeah which you can't show that in a logo that's sort of asking too much of it um and that's part of how you know for example apple we know is premium um, yeah. because of their products and what they do not because of their logo so absolutely and I saw a, a chat the other day when they were um it was quite a well-known brand designer was sort of talking about how to price up a logo uh design to, to mm. some kind of new fresh designers in the industry and um he, he was kind of attempting to say that um you know Nike's tick is kind of now priceless and but what I think what he wasn't explaining was that, you know, and that 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 tick had made Nike, that that, you know, was how Nike became as famous. But I think actually, you know, Nike, that tick only became famous because of the way they handled the rest of their brand, wasn't it? Their tone of Mm. voice, their like, you know, their obviously their product designs, their kind of ethos and, and kind of voice. Yeah, it's just, it's your 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 logo basically is just a tiny part of your brand isn't it and your 
the way you handle yourself down to even you know how you deal with customer complaints even everything is part of your brand isn't it yeah so and how your website kind of makes the users feel if they feel you know powerful and that something's easy to use and you you feel like you're kind of mastering something then then that's part of your brand as well and I, I think this is kind of what this podcast is sort of about so it's about obviously me wanting to chat to really great brand designers but also maybe about sort of explaining to people a bit more what brand actually is um, mm. and, and in- I think I probably get asked to do a lot of the kind of projects that you're which are visual ident yeah like logo branding um, but a lot of people, I get fewer requests for a, a full rebrand. Yes, absolutely. I think that it's from 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 what I can tell, it's it's a budget um, decision. Um, sometimes those brand that, that that sort of wider brand work is done in house, um, yeah. or you know, put out to uh, brand specialists. Um, such as one that I worked on that was involving uh, Dixon Baxi, yeah, um, who are London based, and so they were li- literally looking at the the brand and voice work, nothing visual. Um, yeah. It was literally just the kind of the concepts behind how they should be presenting themselves, um, right. because there's a lot of research involved in that. Um, yeah. So um, I, in in that sense, I'm kind of very happy for them to. To, yeah. to to do that angle of it because it's it is very specialist and it's you know I do enjoy um looking at the identity side so you know it's a logo is okay you know it's a logo is that kind of it's that memorable sort of like signpost really yeah. um but there's not a lot you can sort of necessarily say with the logo um but when you're actually looking at the identity um in a sort of broad sense how it's going to be applied to um, all sorts of different contexts. Um, that's the bit that interests me. That's the bit that actually I get more of a sort of satisfaction out of. Um, I don't know if you're the same. You just that, that kind of feeling of you know a logo is okay, but it's it's you'd rather do the the more holistic thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I I I really enjoy the process of getting to know a client, a client's say or a business's clients, and trying to understand sort of what their real basic driver is. I think that's always quite important to identify because um, I think there's always an underlying message um, there, which is quite quite a visceral message maybe. So it might be like, what do they really want? Well, they want safety or they want, you know, if you buy an Apple product, you're saying, you're basically saying, I'm, you know, at a certain level of income. It's a status symbol, isn't it? So it's mm-hmm. kind of... And I think there's probably, yeah, you know, you can say I want the best technology, I want, um, you know, the most brilliant phone, best camera, whatever. But at the end of the day, if you're someone who always gets the brand new iPhone every time it's released, you're doing it as a status symbol. Like you said, it's finding out those kind of drivers. I really enjoy that kind of discovery stage. And I guess the kind of brand specialists go real deep into that and stuff. But I do love sitting down with clients and kind of, yeah, finding out that and seeing how that can be then fed through to... The different aspects of the the brand or visual identity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, do you often find from that that the the client um, sometimes has a very skewed version of how mm. they think they're perceived to how they're actually perceived? Absolutely, um, yeah. And there's a classic one about um, companies that always used to um, order their website by their departments. 
you know, because that made no sense to them internally. That, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. of course, you know, you know, someone, I just want to buy a pair of pants, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I don't want to go through all the HR section. Um, so, but they're, 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 again, with logo and branding design, it's very much that kind of having to sort of try and um, suggest that you should be looking at, you know, how you're perceived by by the you know, by your audience rather than how you think you're perceived. Yeah, and I think sometimes I work with people who think that their audience, uh, or clients possibly, who think their audience are interested in the company, but they're actually, you know, actually interested really in what they get at the end of a transaction or their product or what that mm. product brings to them. And they, they want to tell their story, their company story too much. You know, that it, it's about them mm. is their branding. Yes. And, it, and actually it should be about about the customer yeah um, and it's quite a difficult conversation to have sometimes when you're like they don't actually care about you <laughs> well this is exactly <laughs> what I'm, I've, I've been trying to sort of work out this um uh, this uh, presentation um i haven't had time to finish it but basically it goes on the title of no one cares about your logo yeah. um you, you see a lot of these presentations that have these kind of supposedly kind of you know provocative titles um and of course you know people do care about the logo especially if you change it you know if you change your logo then you know it's inevitably oh, bad yeah. and you I mean look at airbnb apart. and you know how yeah. how much crap they had to take when they changed theirs and exactly. yeah the bigger you are the more difficult it is to change that logo isn't it yeah and and you know it's it, people will the, you know the armchair designers will get on twitter and um and lambast things but at the end of the day you know a logo is just what it is. It is literally just a memorable signpost, you know. And uh, I do think people think they other people care more than they actually do. So you'd get um, uh, a company would like to do a press release to announce their new logo. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I wonder if anyone's actually, other than actually, like the blogs that cover, you know, logos and branding yeah. design, outside of that sphere, I wonder if anyone actually really cares. No. Um, I think absolutely, the, the, the customers definitely don't care particularly, do they? Yeah, I mean the one the one example I can think of where it, the exception to that was the London twenty twelve Olympic logo. Yes, yeah. that was the the first God. time that I thought you know people did Engage. care about a logo. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and it was hilarious because papers like the Daily Mail ran competitions to uh, to say you know oh you know my I could design a better logo than this. And and then they go and sort of do something in Word that um, was absolutely appalling. And it, I think it really sort of made you appreciate actually how much yeah. thought had gone into this. Yeah, I think there's there's that there's the side of kind of getting the client to um, focus in on their their customers. But I think there's also you know it's important as designers to not let your ego kind of drive a project either. I think obviously people come to you for your expertise and your kind of years of experience and. and talent but you also you do need to listen to the client as well don't you and really mm. kind of take on board there um and I, I've worked with uh kind of designers in the past this sounds horrible I might cut this bit out but <laughs> I've worked with <laughs> designers in the past who um have like you know they have wanted to try a certain design style or a certain look and the next client who's come along will that that they're going to get that look because they that designer particularly wanted to you know yes. try that style or something out and i think i think we've got to leave our egos behind as well haven't we and just mm. really really listen to to what clients say 
I've really come across that in the last year. There was mm-hmm. a, I can't name any names, but um, a company that had done a, a very big uh, rebrand for mm-hmm. a large um, music company. And yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, they wanted to do exactly the same thing for for the, the mm. this current client, um, mm. and and they just weren't listening at all to mm. what the client was asking for, um, and the fact that they had spent a lot of time doing research up to that point to to find out what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it was just quite interesting actually that there's you know that those sort of bigger companies can be quite um, inflexible mm-hmm. and. Uh, dogmatic yeah. in that approach yeah and I think that um, they think that the clients come to them for their name and you know whatever they produce the client will be happy with because they've had their they're charging 20 grand for a new logo or 30 grand 40 grand whatever for a new logo and so you know it they think that they're coming there for the prestige of working with them mm. but you know some clients will go there for that reason but I don't think many really savvy clients will. They want value for money, don't they? You can't just yes, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's rare that you get a, a company that has an unlimited budget for these sort of things. Yeah, definitely. I have come across it once, but yeah. <laughs> That's quite terrifying, though, isn't it? Like, oh god, where do we begin? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pressure. Yeah, but it, yeah. you know, I think I think budget is important because it does give you time to think. And I think especially with this kind of area of design, um, time to think is really important. Absolutely. And um, I don't know about your process. This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently and mm. something I try and explain to clients. But particularly with, with, with identity design, I find that I can't do it in a sort of a large sitting. So I can't sort of mm. say block these three, three days no. to do the idea stage. What I need to Absolutely. do is spread that out over the course mm. of a few weeks, just doing like an hour or two here and there. Um, and then when you come back to it afresh, you've got that you, yeah. that new angle, that new solution that you hadn't thought of and you wouldn't have thought of if you just sat at your desk plugging away for a couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the longer I sit at my desk plugging away, the less productive I become. And I, I get to the point where I don't see the logo at all. Yeah. I can't see what I'm looking at. I'm like, I don't know. Is Absolutely. it good? Is it rubbish? I haven't got a clue. Yeah, mm. no, you're absolutely right. I think I'm probably best, yeah, like you say, if I can sit down for one to two hours and then go away and do something else and then come back to it, that definitely um, is is the best thing to do. And I, obviously some clients have tiny budgets and you have to make that decision whether you want to work with them, you know, just because you kind of really are on board with what they're doing or whatever. But I think mm. it is important to kind of, stress to a client because I think this is a this is a whole nother program probably if we start going down the pricing <laughs> and how do you price jobs route and um uh, but I was talking about this because I do another podcast as well called the freelance web uh which is about freelancing and we were talking about we we're just relaunching it we we're talking about pricing the other day and we're you know really into value-based pricing but explaining that to a client is still difficult because they have this kind of idea of what a, a you know a salaried person should be earning for that kind of work and if you say well my you know I'm 150 pounds an hour or whatever they're like well, yeah but, but times that up to like 40 hours a week for you know a year and bloody hell no one earns that much money but that isn't yeah. how it works is it it's no yeah, it's exactly yeah it's more about but that's a whole other show <laughs> we could talk about <laughs> talk about that on um because I'm always really intrigued how everybody 
sort of goes about deciding on pricing and how they kind of sell that to the client. It's mm. a tricky one. It's, um, it is a yeah. hard one. Yeah. I, I, there's no, I haven't got a sort of a nice, easy answer for it because it is, and it, every job's different than every job. You have to say it depends, you know. Yeah. Because so I think a lot of people say, you know, um, I mean, I'm all for sort of saying, what will, what will this bring value? Will this bring to your company? What's your, you know, the return on investment on this will be brilliant if we, you know, if we can get this right which obviously we will, um, <laughs> then, <laughs> then, um, but, you know, even when you're a small company starting up, it that's still a hard sell to them to, to say, if you do really do your branding brilliantly, then this could turn you from a, you know, this could make or break your company really. But yeah, it's, it depends what people, what value people put on it as well. I mean, some people just think, there's a lot of people I still come across now who just think, just get a nice logo and a website and you're sorted. And you'll never mm. change their mind in a million years. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I sort of keep thinking about, which is, because um, uh, I keep mentioning about budget and how that affects things. But one example I saw of uh, low-cost low um, identity design done really well. Um, and it was a, there's a, a working farm kind of fairly near where I live called Farmer yeah. Gow's. And it's um, basically it uses Comic Sans, and yeah. <laughs> you know Comic Sans is the famous kind of like whipping yeah. um, boy of all the you know all designers. Yeah. But yeah. actually, you know, like everything else, it's it has a place and a relevance. Yeah, and because absolutely. this place is um, is is geared up for children's parties, and um, so you can go and feed the animals and uh, mm-hmm. um, and and see and see all the sort of things that happen on a farm. Um, but they, I took some photos at the time because I just thought they'd applied it really well. Yeah. It was all all very consistent. There was no kind of, um, you know, oh, we'll just use a bit of aerial here or whatever. Um, yeah. Or all the signage they did was did in the house very very simply, but very clearly. You know, they had yeah. good copywriting. It was nice and short, nice and summarized. And I just thought that was just a really nice, Absolutely. you know, this isn't about how much cost they've got or how many fonts, but they've they've worked with what they've got. They've used yeah. something that's appropriate for the uh, for the audience. It's, and it, yeah, and it's it worked. contextually right, isn't it? It's Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I think as well, I mean, they've done a great job with that because they're going to be, children, as you say, children going there. And that font will be something that those children are familiar with as well because it's used a lot in schools isn't it so it immediately mm. creates a kind of welcoming familiar environment and it's also a very accessible font for children with dyslexia and stuff as well so yeah it's yeah yeah i think you have to put your snobber your design snobbery aside with things like that don't you and mm. think actually this is absolutely right yeah but um, then yeah, yeah. like you're saying about the context that's the that's the sort of the key bit i think of any design um but every time i do icon designs um client will usually uh, give you a big list of the names of the icons they need, and yeah. you usually have to go through them quite a while and say, okay, what's the context for this? You know, mm. how is this actually being used? Um, yeah. And the context for um, you know identity design is, is, is just as important. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, a kind of a term that I will be mentioning over the next few episodes um, is is the term digital brand design. And um, this is a term that I'm kind of exploring at the moment. Is it a term that you're familiar with at all? Um, has anyone come across it before? Kind of. I mean, I recognise what it means, but um, is it actually a thing? Is it actually something that people refer to? 
don't know if I've made it up. <laughs> I hope I have. <laughs> I hope I have and I hope it becomes a big thing and I can write a book about it. Um, yeah, I use it when I talk about branding for for making sure that uh, your kind of digital offering isn't just... So I think it's because I've seen this disconnect between a lot of logo design and then websites. And people are going to have a logo or visual identity done and then... The, client, the designer will hand it over to them and they have this kind of brand guideline document that means not very much to anyone whatsoever. And then they'll just stick that logo on their website without any kind of thought for uh, the brand yes. feeding through to that website. And yeah. I, I see that a lot. And, um, you know, you can go on like Pinterest and you can Google like brand design. There's a lot of really beautiful brand designs on them, beautiful kind of documents and stuff, but not very many of them show how that brand feeds through to the the kind of digital offer even down to like you know how your tone of voice on instagram your kind of images that you use if if that's a kind of platform that you use or or twitter mm. or you know the functionality of your site and so so that's kind of how i interpret it um so i'm kind of using it as a shorthand for something that i think needs maybe addressing which is yeah, yeah brands feeding more through a lot of sites do do that you know really really well and a lot of designers do that as well but then part of me but then I was talking to Mike Coos on the last episode and he said well, actually I don't really agree with digital branders I think it's all brand design it should all kind of come under um that kind of uh umbrella term which is totally I totally agree with him if you do you know if you do employ someone to do brand design they should be doing all of that unless it's specified that they're not but I still think there is a, a disconnect there I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, on yeah, I mean, for me, it's just it's being a bit more specific. So, like in the days of um, when it was just print, you know, you had all sorts of um, restrictions with things like color. Like, you know, can they afford to print yeah. for color? Right, yeah. these Pantones, yeah. and um, but you also had that realization of, you know, what this is going to look exactly like um, what I'm seeing here. You know, I know that when I see this this first printed proof, that the other thousands yeah. are going to be exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. And when you move to digital, you have to um, understand that difference of well, the colours going to maybe be a bit different, the resolution is going to be different, the size it's going to be viewed at is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're designing for a different context. You're, lo- you're being aware of these things, but at the same time, you've got things like the ease of publishing. Um, you know, if you get the Instagram post wrong, you can delete it and put yeah, another one up, yeah. you know. Um, whereas, you know, if it's something that's printed, then obviously you've got to sort of chuck yeah. all these, um, these these printed things <laughs> and start again. So, um, but then conversely, I've also seen um, digital brands um, not really sort of look after the print side, yeah. not really sort of yeah. consider it as well. Um but yeah, I, I to, for me it's it it kind of is a thing, but it's it's just being very specific about the context. I'm never um, going to launch this new terminology, am I? <laughs> and uh, call it no, my I think own. you can. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can make any terminology for anything. I mean, um, in in some ways, do you see digital brand design? Um, you see it as being a sort of a, a separate discipline to, like, say, print brand design. I don't know. I was thinking about it this morning. I th- no, I think they should all. I think brand designers should encompass all of it 
Uh, mm. You know, I think they should obviously spend as much time on the digital as on the print, vice versa. I think they're obviously both as important. I guess I just, I just feel that there's some, yeah, there's, but then is digital brand design web design? That's what I was thinking this morning. I was like, oh, my dog walked this morning thinking, am I just talking about web design maybe? Well, um, web design is like a sort of a subset of that, isn't it? So yeah. you know, if you think of digital brand design as being anything that's going to be seen on a screen, um, yeah. but it doesn't have to be a website, as you say, it can yeah. be. Well, it can be, yeah, yeah. All yeah, sorts of, of things. things yeah, yeah. So it's kind of just a term I'm I'm exploring at the moment, and um, just and I, yeah, I think it just it completely stemmed out of this kind of rant that I had, I think, about the disconnect between. A lot of well, seeing a lot of nice visual identities and brands that are just dumped on a very boring website and not thought through at all, mm. um, and that kind of. And I thought there needs to be this needs to be addressed, you know, as as digital branding. Um, I, I I'm quite intrigued by responsive logo design as well at the moment. Is that something yeah. you've worked on? Yeah, I mean that's that that's quite sort of fun, really. That's that's mm. kind of where the technology has created an opportunity to do things and I've, I've done a few responsive logos um uh, i did one for a company that had this sort of quite grandiose version of uh, had a logo type with a big mascot of a cat um yeah. but then as the it was a good example for it because you know as it got smaller okay you had to do things like uh remove the logo type the cat had to be simpler yeah. Um, but with just a little bit of sort of planning and forethought, you know, you could do that within one file, which is incredible, really. And yeah. it can adapt to the context it's being used at. There's some great examples out there, I think, if you kind of Google responsive logo design. There's some really cool... It's kind of something that's recently only just been kind of discovered, I think, isn't it? And, yeah, there's not a lot of stuff out there, but I love how, yeah, just really simplifying, simplifying, simplifying down. And th- and then I kind of started thinking about whether there was, you could take a kind of mobile first approach, like you do in web design, but do it as a kind of digital first approach to brand design. So could you start off at your kind of smallest resolution that you'd be using a logo at and create it as simple as possible and then grow it up from there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's always the always the best way to start. So, yeah. in in the days when it was, I was just doing print brand design, um, the sorry logo design, I should say, the 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 test was can it fax? You know, can you photocopy yeah. it? Yeah. You know, is it going? Yeah. Is, it, is it so complex that it's just going to become mush? And um, by yes. the time it's been through this process, um, and when now you think of it, well, the, the smallest implementation of your logo is as a favor con on a browser tab yes so that 16 by 16 pixel mm-hmm. representation is the smallest it's ever going to be so if it can work at that size then mm-hmm. you're sorted you know if it's yeah it's a good it's a good test of simplicity i mean not that the simplicity is necessarily what you're aiming at it's kind of a by- byproduct of what your your process is but it's if it works at that size then great you know it's really yeah um, really made it and do you when you send over like guidelines to clients do you include all of those kind of different ways that could be used and which kind of version of the logo is appropriate if you do have different versions which is appropriate for which platform and things yeah absolutely kind of details yeah yeah I mean usually what I do as part of the, the basic package is I do things like the favor con 
and mm. um, even things like you know Twitter avatar, Facebook avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mainly because um, it's the kind of thing that you know someone who doesn't you know doesn't care will get the job of resizing the logo to put it into these contexts. Yeah. So and especially at the Favicon level where you know you're taking a large PNG or something of a of a yeah. logo. And then you're reducing it. You're just going to get this sort of little ball of fuzz. Smudge, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, favorcons are often sort of designed specifically rather than, you know, creating, you know, rather than reducing the artwork. You know, you start from scratch, design it to be as crisp and as clear as possible at 16. Um, and that's something that, you know, that someone at the in-house probably won't do. So I always make sure that I do that as well as, as part of it. Do you have a, so? How do you sort of begin a? What's your process for designing for beginning a brand? Design? Say, say a kind of logo, logo brand project. How, what's your uh, process for for beginning that? Well, I think like a lot of people, I guess it's really just paper, paper and pencil. I mean, it's yeah. it maybe tends to be these days using my iPad with yeah. um, there's an app called Linear, which is the best app I've found for just getting ideas out of your head. Um, right. it's very low friction it's very quick to use um you haven't got a lot of stuff buried away in menus um i it's specifically a thing for icon design as well as logo design yeah you know there, there's lots of really handy grids included in this um so you know you don't run out of paper you just keep going keep yeah. drawing and you can easily um select a portion of a sketch copy it adapt it you know keep iterating and trying out different things um so apart from the actual sketching side of that there's also mind mapping as well um i was trying to find the link for this before the show and i couldn't find it um frank camero um some years ago did a fantastic um description of how to create the kind of the non-obvious logo by doing a mind map and sort of choosing two very disparate points um, yeah. And I was trying to find this, and I, I don't know if he's actually removed this post from his blog now, um, but it, it, I can't seem to find it. So I'll have, a, yeah. have another look for it. But it, that kind of process is ideal. And these kind of processes come after a, a kind of a discovery stage with the client. Do you do you sit down with them, or do you kind of does that depend on their budget? Are they kind of sometimes? It's yeah, I mean, again, yeah. Um, I don't tend to necessarily get the really high budget ones where um, I'm actually involved in that discovery process. Yeah um but okay. sometimes it might just be just like sort of a couple of hours meeting just to sort of do yeah. a really summarized yeah. version of that um or the the they might be sort of quite big clients and they've already done that process um so i've got you know a wealth of information from that of yeah. um things like you know where they see themselves compared to competitors and uh yeah. um you know the typical kind of four axis kind of grid of um of, of where they where they want to be and where they are where they think they are yes um yeah. so all that kind of information is already there in front of me yeah and and those kind of words can often be the sort of the, the basis of the mind map um right. just to try and think of as many different ideas as possible yeah that's brilliant i love that idea and you did a really brilliant um i'm gonna stop saying the word brilliant you did a very great uh um, entry in your journal on your site about using your iPad Pro so that's part of that um, you kind of use that as your main computer now do you is that kind of part of that whole 
initial process with with this kind of app and then you do a lot of drawing out on there and yeah do you use that for the like main design part as well no. well i can do i mean I, I do still use paper and pencil as well yeah because there's that thing of you know i might be out somewhere and i haven't got a computer with me but I, yes. i've always got uh, a really small field notes yeah. notebook and a pen and yes. i can always get some ideas down so you know it's not sort of exclusively and the iPad Pro thing is something I've been trying for you know just the last few months. Yeah. Um, like for example, I'm not actually recording this podcast on the iPad Pro because it gets a bit complicated with getting the an external microphone to yes. get good quality yeah. and recording it. And just for ease, I've just used my MacBook. But um, what's nice about the iPad is that you can kind of you do a lot of the stages on it. So you start off with the mind mapping yeah. and the sketching, and then you can even work through to the the final finished thing all on the same thing so um the the big change there has been using uh, affinity designer which is kind of like yeah. uh, an illustrator competitor yeah but it's yeah. now been made uh, for the ipad and yeah, it's it's it's, it's amazingly feature complete so yeah. you can you can even in the same app actually you could sketch out ideas and then create um, final vector files, you know, for production, which is yeah. incredible. But that's that's quite a recent development. That's not been available. Um, it's only available last year um, that came out. So it's it's a slow kind of like gradual process of the iPad sort of taking over from yeah from the MacBook. I guess it gives you a real sense of freedom as well, which you perhaps don't have with your MacBook. Yeah, and as I say in that big post, um, there's something about it that's quite nice about this. You know, not using a sort of a mouse, but using a pencil that's sort of very yeah. direct. direct. Um, yeah. And I had a Wacom tablet for a while. I, I, it was it, it's great because Wacom, you can sort of program it to do all sorts of things, different button yeah. presses. But at the end of the day, it's still kind of disconnected. You're still sort of doing something with one hand and looking at somewhere else. Um, yes. Whereas the iPad and Pro Pencil, it feels a little bit like yeah. how design was when I first started. Because when I first started yeah. design, it was still... Um, paste up I mean um, computers were coming in and we you know set a lot of text maybe on them um, on yeah. computer but at the end of the day you had a drawing board scalpel um, and you know everything was sort of very physical with your fingers so yeah. there's something about actually using the iPad Pro and Pencil that kind of goes back to that and it, it feels yeah. nice to use and I think that's been the kind of the main driving force of this you know it's mm. I quite like that directness more more of a connection yeah i think so mm. yeah and then do you at what stage do you because i was another conversation we had last week i, I was saying to my i have to basically have uh when i present things to the client uh let's say your initial kind of ideas it's basically done pretty much i mean obviously it's not the whole brand guidelines everything else but the first like if i'm doing an identity design then it, it's done and um Whereas I know there are some designers who will send over stuff as they're going along and be like, what do you think to this? And it might be, and I've had clients say, just send me a rough sketch of the initial ideas. I'm like, I can't do that. Don't be crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, I always kind of present, you know, I, I, I always present one design and I, that's from the kind of discovery state. How do you do, because I know lots of designers send over, you know, different ideas, several different ideas and stuff. How do you do that? to clients yeah well well, first of all i don't i don't always guarantee that you will get a set number of ideas yeah but sometimes when you look at a design 
you know, you could see maybe six or eight possibilities, mm. different different approaches. Um, mm. And sometimes you might think there's only really one solution here. So yes. yeah. um, I'm very honest and say that, you know, I think there's yeah. only one solution. Um, yes. So I don't try to tie myself down beforehand to say, you know, you will see this many um, versions. But yeah. I, I do do a kind of an initial round because, again, come back to budgets you don't want to spend too much time on the wrong idea. No. So there's a there's a level where you've got to sort of do enough for the client mm. to sort of understand what it is. Yeah. Um, but not so much that it's very polished and refined and yeah. spend a lot of time working on it. So go back and start again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I do do a kind of a an initial stage where I've quickly roughed up as many ideas as possible, um, because there's. You, different ways that you can approach things and it depends on whether the client sort of sees that as you know actually this direction here this second direction that's that's what we're looking for yeah and um yeah. you know it, it's not that when you're designing them you think okay well i think there's one good idea and five bad ones it's more a case of there's you know i could see this going any number of routes and each one of these is right Mm. um but for the client you know eventually only one will be right yeah so so yeah i do tend to do it's not a pencil sketch it's kind of what i call a vector sketch so it's actually you know there's maybe some color in there sometimes mm-hmm. it's just black and white okay uh, just to sort of get the idea over but yeah. you know it's actually been rendered um yeah. and i can do that quite fast yeah yeah i'm i struggle with that i think i need to do that more and i I, I think I spend too much time, you know, almost finishing the design, you know, to a degree where it's like ready to sign off. And then, mm. yeah, I think I need to be quicker at, and more confident at uh, just getting that over there and starting a conversation. I mean, it does um, depend on the client as well. Because, mm. I mean, some clients, you know, will, won't understand what you're putting in front of them. Um, and you really yeah. have to talk through and have to visualize a lot before they do understand. Um, some people could really get it just from a pencil sketch, but it's yeah. So there's a lot of that, but also yes, confidence will come as you go. Um, it's I don't wouldn't say that either is the right way to do it. It's just you know just the way you do it, and yeah. you know you're the one speaking to the client and you know getting to know them, and you, you kind of get to know. Know, what what their expectations will be and how you can meet yeah. that yeah so you recently shared a brilliant project you worked on called ihasco absolutely beautiful um logo oh thank identity you that you designed for them it's, it's absolutely gorgeous and i love reading about it and your kind of thoughts behind it um so tell us about that yeah tell us about your kind of because you did a beautiful kind of brand document with that as well which you sort of shared mm. online which, yeah, yeah. So this okay. is a re- this is a really good example of a, a company that had, you know, had a bit of budget to go beyond beyond what was the, the, the norm. So like not just a simple color palette and a, you know choosing a typeface and a logo. Yeah. Um. Actually, had some time to to think about how they're going to use it. So this was a lot of um, designs I do are redesigned. So companies have already. You know, they've set themselves up with something very quick when they they start the company. Yes. And that kind of then that's them, you know, sort of saddled with it. But I don't yeah. really, um, I I don't um, advise that companies change logos unless they really have to. Yeah. I think there's some very good reasons to do it. 
So for the, to, this is a good example. So for this one, uh, we looked at say four directions. So we did one that was an update of where they are now. Yeah. So identifying the problems that they currently had with it, and then ways of solving that. Mm-hmm. And then looking at one that was uh, getting rid of a logo mark completely and just having a logo type. So it's something very simple. Yeah. Um, to go with that, and then also looking at different directions, you know, other ways of representing the company. Um, so what we actually chose um, was actually a bit of amalgamation of the logo type and the updated logo mark. Yeah. So it was this a very simple kind of hexagonal pinwheel, which they'd always had, and and one of the problems with it was that it's um, it was very symmetrical. It's a very simple. Like like a sort of uh, like imagine a trivial pursuit pie almost yeah. you know different coloured triangles, and um, so what I decided to do to make it asymmetrical and add a bit of um, dynamism to it was yes. just simply to take one of the triangles and move it outside of it, um, so it could either be looked like it's actually on the way in or the way mm. out, um, but but it was highlighting that that yellow triangle. So uh, IHASCO are a health and safety uh, of course. Uh, makers so they do online courses on video mm-hmm. and so that was the main thing there to sort of highlight the triangle and 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 make it asymmetrical and make it more ownable so to make it a little bit more um personal to them uh, yeah. rather than just being a generic sort of geometric shape and um so that that worked great and then from after that we then started developing uh an identity around it and what was nice about ihasco was um, first of all, they have in-house designers, so they have a large creative team. Because yeah. for each each video they create, they they do that and their own animation, um, they have their own sort of look and feel for each one. So, for example, there's one about sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, which is a lot more sort of obviously more serious in tone yes. um, than some other ones. So, yeah, each one's got to be have its own little sort of own voice. And the way that they described it was like Netflix. So there's this overall uh, identity of Netflix, but then for each show, mm-hmm. it's got its own logo uh, um, and its own sort of identity for it. So we, rather than create this sort of big document of do's and don'ts, like, you know, don't yes. use a logo like this, um, because they they know what they were doing. They didn't need yeah. that kind of, you know, don't, don't put a drop shadow behind the logo. So yeah. instead what we created was... Um, uh, we did the color palette, and then we moved on to um, this idea of uh, patterns and textures, and ways that we can use those to um, either divide content or, or lead the eye through content, and then culminating in this, um, which I've never done before actually, this thing called um, these little thumbnail layouts. So they started off being sort of wireframes, so little black and white sketches. Yeah. And I thought, well, actually, you know, this needs to be a little bit more uh, descriptive. Mm-hmm. So we actually made them these little sort of coloured wireframes. Um, yeah. So taking something like uh, a social media post or um, a website and and giving a few different options about how all these different ingredients could be put together yeah. and how it still retains that identity. It still looks like it's from Ihasco despite yeah. being different design so um yeah it, it, it was 
um, they they really they really liked that part of it, and I think it was it was that final part of the uh, toolkit that they needed to be able to um, with the next new job to to do that to take the yeah. information and 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 say well it doesn't have to look like this thumbnail but I can do it you know I can use these ingredients in this way. Yeah, and then, it's made so, it so exciting. It's made it. I think it's a brilliant example of digital brand design. I've got to be honest, because <laughs> it kind of feed, feeds through to. It's so more, much more interesting and more exciting than, you know, just a bloody boring kind of layout ideas. It's, it's yeah, really great. I love it. Oh, thank you. I mean, the final part of that was just the um, presenting it in HTML. Yeah. Um, because you know, because you know, my work on it is complete. So, so they'll take that in house, um, and they've they're, they're going to evolve that. So, as they use yeah. it, they will add and remove um, bits from that that document, and it will just it will keep evolving. Yeah. Um, which is something that, if it's a PDF, is a bit harder. You know, if yeah. you've got a um, people can in the company could have like an older version of the PDF, yeah. whereas if if there's one URL just to look at. People quite like that. They don't like having to sort of store stuff. You know, if they can just go back to the same URL and just see the latest version. Um, It makes it, you know, it's more suitable for them. And that's, they're all available on, it's available on GitHub, isn't it? To put the link in the show notes to be able to go through the whole kind of branding document, which is brilliant. It's amazing because most companies wouldn't do that. They would keep that, you know, in-house and wouldn't make it public. But no, I'm really... Ihasco is one of those great companies that. But that is all part of their brand, isn't it? That sh- you know, sharing that and being open says mm. a lot about the kind of company they are. So yeah, I think even even things like this are part of a brand, aren't they? Um, which I think yeah. companies don't realise. Yeah, I mean that's the thing they don't realise, but it's um, nice and refreshing when you have one that does. Yeah, yeah. I love how you've taken all the like different shapes in the word and. Kind of use those in various areas and yeah it's absolutely brilliant it's well worth a look so um yeah i'll share the notes for that on a link for that on the show notes so that people can go and have a look so yeah brilliant excellent thank you um so do you is that a relatively new way of doing do you, is that how you always do brand guidelines and share them obviously you said this kind of this this thumbnail aspect of it was quite new mm. um for you um how do you normally kind of go about what's your starting point for creating brand guidelines because i i we were saying last week that um i really hate the kind of or well, i personally don't find any value in when you put in like a brand document like oh it needs to be like this amount of space around it with like you know an element from the the logo word or something (laughs) like has to be all the way you know because like I think Mike said like if you are handing that over you're not going to hand that to someone who's never done design before you know Mm. if if you are handing over this stuff so you you have to assume that they're going to know there needs to be space around something. So yeah, well, what's your process behind that? <laughs> the, the problem, yeah, I mean, it's, it's as a designer, it's, it's the dull part having to write yeah. all these sort of rules. But at the yeah. same time, what you have to imagine is is someone taking those the, that that information or those just those logo files without yeah. having that information, and imagining the kind of horrors that they'll produce. Yes. Because it does happen. You know, people don't realise these needs. So things like leaving space around a logo. I mean, I've seen a couple of ways of doing that. So things like, you know, basing it on 
an element within the logo itself yeah. or you know actually putting that padding within the actual logo file itself so are you better um, are you better off to sh- actually show it an an in situ example you know almost like this is what it should you know like mocking up a, a, if it's going to be used on a website and you haven't done that part of the branding you know literally mocking up an example of how that should look within that kind mm. of context because I, mean, I do I think... find the whole element bit you know of pacing an x around I, I find that I don't know, does that does that mean a lot well this is the <laughs> I say I don't I don't enjoy doing it but actually no. <laughs> depending on the who who's going to be doing it so for example yeah. in Ohasco's case I know that this is going to be implemented by the in-house creative team. Yeah. So yeah. I know that I don't have to say, you know, go into detail with that. But some people don't. You know, some people have um, a team, might go into a marketing team who, you know, design isn't their first job. Yeah. Um, but if they just had some simple rules that just said, you know, to avoid it looking shit, that just put <laughs> some space around it, you know. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and don't make sure there's enough contrast and don't put it yeah. on top of a photo where you can't see it. And, you know, having that kind of, you know, this this is why it looks bad um, yeah. example, it can help people, you know. And it, it is difficult because you can end up with just like loads of rules of yeah. trying to, you know, imagine all the kind of weird things they're going to do to your work but um but they always still then manage to come up with one you haven't thought of i always yes. find that like, but we want to put it on this kind of background oh god i haven't even uh, thought of that i'm gonna have yeah. to like rethink this now no that's the thing you can't cover all those bases but yeah. you know if you can cover the sort of the basics of you know spacing and contrast then you know that that's that's a good start um yeah. so i mean in some ways that kind of tends to be the starting point you know from writing the brand documents I start you start at the logo first mm. simply because it's in the order that I present yes. it really I guess yeah. um but um and then you kind of and also this is interesting do you ever find that when you're starting to write that you you perhaps mock something up as a example and then does they ever inform maybe changes because I've I've done this in the past and I'll be you know starting to kind of mock up um, examples of what it would look like on here, and I think, oh God, actually, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a little change. You know, I'm gonna go back and make this change <laughs> to it because I'm not sure it actually works now in this. Yeah, I mean, context. I think <laughs> the the key point I find that out is actually applying it. So actually trying the contexts out, like you're saying, yeah, you know, um, I mean that that it. should be part of the design process anyway. Yeah. Um, usually yeah. past the once I'm past that initial sketch stage. Yeah. The next one is where, you know, we're showing the ideas in context. And it's things yeah. like mocking up a, a Twitter homepage. You know, this yeah. this is this is your logo being used as the avatar next to each tweet. This is your masthead design. Absolutely. Um, how people are going to be seeing your your identity. You know, that could be their yeah. first their first view of it could be via Twitter. So these sort of things, even though they sound a little bit kind of um I try to think of a good word for this. I'm going to stall now. Um, a little bit sort of low rent or something, or mm. um, it, you know, the, the you know, it's imperative, it's, really. It's imperative, and it's outside yeah. of your control, apart from these small areas that where you can I, put. Some and this in. is something I was thinking about last week that um, I am going to start adding in examples, which I haven't done before. Of, and actually, before I even show the client, uh, maybe a, a, a com- more complete. Uh, visual identity I am going to start um, mocking it up and trying it in you know Facebook Twitter you know also like um, 
posts on Facebook or posts shared from somewhere else on Facebook because sometimes you'll see something like that and you're like, oh God, that just doesn't, you know, you've done something for a client and they've shared that and you actually, that doesn't look great and I need to send them this over to use yeah. instead. Yeah. And I think I'm going to start doing that a lot more now because um, I've always done kind of the traditional, you know, it a, a tiny size, it a larger size, you know, for various screen sizes and stuff. But yeah, I think, I'm going to start testing it, as you say, in Facebook, in Twitter, in Instagram, in all those places before mm. I even get it to that stage with the client, which I haven't done before. Yeah. I mean, again, because we were talking about earlier about, you know, things context driven and, and designing for the context. So you have to test it in that context as well. So that should, that should really happen before you get to the brand guideline stage, yes. before that yeah. writing bit, you know, you'd have you'd have stress tested it in various situations yeah. to make sure that it works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. Um, learned a lot. We'll start um, start wrapping up, I think. Um, I've got a couple of kind of, if, unless there's anything you want to add, is there anything that you feel that I've kind of not covered? No, no, no. I feel I've waffled far too much. So that's, no, yeah, that's all. all good. Very, <laughs> very, very interesting. And no, I really enjoyed it. So going to kind of finish off the show with a like <laughs> the fun element. <laughs> sure. no, there's nothing better than a bit of forced fun, is there? Um, have you got, <laughs> have you got and I like you know like to put people on the spot. Have you any good online recommendations that you've kind of discovered recently? So they can be like industry or non-industry. Mm-hmm. Um but so like podcast or anything or an article that you've read anywhere or anything that you've it can be yeah. your own stuff as well. You can plug your own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from my huge articles. I mean, I've actually got a, a, a non-industry and an industry example. So just oh, quickly. Um, so the industry example um, is a, a site I was looking at last week called the Centre for Visibility Design. And it's a, a Danish site that's um, doing a scientific research into uh, the legibility and readability of, um, they say, typefaces and pictograms. But at the moment, I think it's still early days and they've got a few um, type examples up there. Okay. But just very, just very interesting looking at things like letter shapes and what is more readable than others. And, you know, the areas where a serif actually can make a difference in terms of legibility. Um, they're really interesting. I'll, I'll send you the link for that. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. That sounds great. And uh, a non-industry recommendation, um, something that, my daughter's been on at me to watch for a while and I finally got round to watching the first episode. There's a, a comedy, uh, it's a BBC comedy that's now on Netflix and it's yeah. called This Country. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if you, have you seen this? I have not seen it, no. My, uh, I've had lots of people recommend it to me though. Yeah, because basically this this is a comedy that's a bit like The Office, it's that kind of mockumentary yeah. kind of style. But it's it's filmed in a place called North Leach, which is just down the road from me. And it's yeah. a, what you might call it a typical Cotswold village yeah. that, they're, that they're filming it in. Um, and I think there's an element of that that I, you know, enjoy that kind of, yeah. oh, this is funny because I know it's true and, you know, yeah. I know I know people like this. Um, but it, 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 I only saw the first episode and it was like the night before last uh but i'm hooked you know i think it's brilliant oh oh lovely i absolutely love things like that i i love comedies where you can completely know the kind of characters that are in it and i think that obviously the office was very much that and uh i also feel i don't know if you've watched kath and kim did you the australian oh god yes absolutely phenomenal wasn't it and that and just knew even like 
though I don't live in Australia, living in England, you still knew Kath and Kim, didn't you? Still knew their kind of English yeah. equivalents. And stuff. I mean, to this yeah. day, I can't say the word mezzanine without saying mezzanine. No. <laughs> mezzanine. And I'm always, I can't like, I like, I'm just constantly saying, "Look at me, look, look at me, look at me, look at me." Oh, it's, it's just, so good. It's so good. Yes, and that's now good. Come onto Netflix as well, isn't it? So, and is it actually a film? Oh, there's actually a, a Kath and yes. Kim film, which yeah. I watched not long ago. With various yeah, so. came- cameos. But yeah, that's that's one thing. I, I It's it's actually very similar kind of humour, really, to be yeah, honest. I love it. If you like Kath I've and also Kim, really like got, this country. I absolutely loved The English Office. And as a result, I didn't watch The American Office for ages. And I've only just started watching it. And the first couple of episodes, I thought, oh, they're just really rehashing the English one. And then mm. I... And and then I really kind of got into it, and it's just beautiful. The just the the way the sensitivity around the characters, you know, even the most ghastly people in the <laughs> office, you come to absolutely love because it's just it's so sensitively like rendered. It's beautiful, and it's sort of that slightly softer sense of humour because I think English humour is quite. I mean, especially The Office, it was oh at times it was a bit like ouch, this is painful to watch but yes, um yeah, the awkwardness was... of it and the, oh, the little God. sort of knowing looks to camera and uh, yeah yeah and, I think I the, mean, the, have you watched the u.s office yet no i haven't actually so oh. I, I i should make time for it really everyone yeah, the, tells me how good it is you have to get through the first three because I, I think they're just trying to basically retell and then i think they've just gone actually you know this is you know this isn't quite where we are and we've got steve carell and he's a different he's not david brent so <laughs> yeah and it kind of finds its own voice then but that's beautiful as well and you do even you know with those characters you're like oh god i definitely work with one of those people when i worked in an office before or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. Absolutely yeah absolutely love it. you can get so hooked i mean with the office there's nine series and there's like 27 episodes of series and i think i'm, go- I'm never gonna get my life back this is it now blimey gosh i mean that's <laughs> yeah. much more than the english office isn't it? yeah I mean, yeah definitely two or three that any had it was yeah yeah, yeah. It's a really huge. I mean, they just kind of went with it. They went went with their own thing in the end. And but no, it's absolutely hilarious. It's brilliant. So that's brilliant. I'm going to have a look at this country as well. That sounds excellent. So two brilliant recommendations there. Thank you, and thank you so much for chatting with me. I really, really enjoyed it. It's been really, yeah, really. Yeah, thanks for having helpful. me on. It's been great, and especially like you're only your second ever guest. It's nice and be there in the early days. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> been brilliant to have such amazing guests on my first two episodes. So thank you so much, John. Well, we're at the end of our second episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. I absolutely loved talking to John. He was um, a real gentleman and so knowledgeable. Um, and you can you can catch John on Twitter. Um, he's at Hicks Design, H-I-C-K-S Design. And you catch me on Twitter at Liz underscore E, not as in the whole word, just the symbol underscore Liz underscore E. And the podcast is at Elastic Brand Pod. And our website address is theelasticbrand.com if you want to have a look at the website. You can catch show notes on the website um, and any references that we've made in the podcast as well. It should be linked up there. We're also on iTunes and if you just search for The Elastic Brand should come up and you can subscribe and rate and review on there as well. So hopefully catch up with you next week. Bye.